Mary Johnson Turner, a research vice president for the Future of Digital Infrastructure Agenda at IDC, says the majority of organizations globally expect to rely on interconnected hybrid and multi-cloud strategies for digital infrastructure in the coming years. In Asia, we are already observing the hosting of business applications and data in the cloud becoming the norm for many organizations. And as the trend continues, these same organizations will have to decide whether they can continue to run applications originally designed to run on traditional on-premises infrastructure or to optimize these to run natively in the cloud. Now, Gartner defines cloud native as something created to optimally leverage or implement cloud characteristics. Such applications share the same cloud characteristics, including scalability and elasticity, shared meter by use, service-based, and ubiquitous because they are built from the ground up as internet technologies. In this podcast for Future CIO, we delve deeper into the value proposition of cloud-native initiatives, why organizations pursue this strategy, and how they do so cost-effectively when the mandate is to continue operating in a hybrid environment. Helping us to shed light on key considerations for C-suite leaders on the topic is Vishal Gariwala, Senior Director and Chief Technology Officer for Asia-Pacific at SUSE. Vishal, welcome back to Podchats for Future CIO. Hey, Alan. Great to be back here. Uh, if you could, let's just set up the baseline for this. What exactly do we mean when we say cloud-native initiatives? Sure, Alan. So, you know, when we talk about cloud native initiatives, we are really focusing on the aspect of how customers design, build, and operate applications that are able to fully leverage the advantages of cloud computing. I can give you a few examples of such initiatives. So, number one could be how customers can adopt a microservices-based architecture for their applications or how they can migrate traditional on-premises workloads to containerized applications that can run on cloud environments or even edge computing environments another initiative could be managing your container application landscape by leveraging a container management platform adopting ci cd tooling to ship code faster can be another initiative and the fifth one is all about how you incorporate DevSecOps best practices as part of your overall software development methodology. So, you know, these are, Ellen, some examples of what such cloud native initiatives look like. Now, we spoke about having cloud-native initiatives, but the reality is for many organizations in the region, the observable trend that we are seeing is taking a hybrid approach. So the question for you is, why would an organization, an enterprise, pursue cloud-native initiatives, even though on the onset they may be pursuing a hybrid approach to their computing needs? A great question. So, Alan, it's not hybrid or cloud-native. It's generally hybrid cloud approach and cloud-native initiatives together. They go very well hand-in-hand. Now, the hybrid approach allows you to take advantage of the high availability, scalability, cost efficiency, and security that comes with a public cloud. Uh, And it also simultaneously enables you to retain control over your private and sensitive data and applications by keeping them on-premises. But if you want to truly reap the benefits of the hybrid approach, you will literally need to shift the way you build and deliver software. For example, for your new and existing applications, you can use 
use uh, microservices architecture combined with container technology to ensure that you are able to incorporate high availability, scalability, and security at a very granular level compared to your traditional monolithic architectures. And this will also help you drive cost efficiencies on the cloud. For example, you have a payment service application as part of your overall application. Now, if you are able to design that as a microservice, you will have the ability to independently just scale that particular service in the overall application. Compared to if it's a monolith app, you will probably need to scale the entire application. So the ability to granularly scale is what you get uh, when you use a microservices architecture. Then obviously, as customers begin more and more cloud native applications based on microservices, your container landscape will increase. And then you'll also need to think about how you're going to automate the management of the entire lifecycle for all your containers. And this, this containers could be running on your on-prem data center in one or more public clouds or even at the remote edge. So this is where a container management platform, for example, Rancher by SUSE can become very handy. Now, while you are doing the above two, you'll also then need to think about at the same time how you can quickly and consistently develop, test, secure, and deploy all of these microservices. And this is where DevSecOps and CICD will play an important role. One of the directives of IT leaders is to foster innovation. This is despite having to have operate distributed heterogeneous cloud native IT landscape. What is your recommendation for IT leaders uh, in terms of the strategies that they would need in order to execute this mandate to foster innovation within an environment that is heterogeneous cloud native? So when you have uh, an IT landscape that is distributed and heterogeneous, managing, operating, and updating the operating systems, your Kubernetes clusters, as well as your cloud-native applications tend to become quite challenging, primarily because of the variations in all of these environments. And this will then complicate the management and operations of heterogeneous environments, and it hampers innovation. To mitigate this, companies should ensure that they are able to have a consistent management and operations across their entire IT landscape. So this will involve implementing a uniform approach for managing, operating, and updating the operating systems, the Kubernetes clusters, and applications. Such things can be achieved by leveraging OS and Kubernetes management platforms, uh, such as SUSE Manager and Rancher Prime, along with automation, as well as best practices from DevSecOps. So there is this Forrester HashiCorp study that revealed that in Asia-Pacific, organizations find shortage of cloud skills as a major barrier to pursuing a multi-cloud strategy. In your perspective, is this IT talent shortage real? And within the realm of mission-critical end-to-end cloud-native architecture, what would you say are the issues that CIOs and perhaps even HR leaders will find themselves in as they struggle to identify, recruit, and retain these particular talents? I would say absolutely yes, Ellen. There is definitely a shortage where you know of cloud talent and this is not just in Asia or Singapore, but also globally. So I, I actually remember reading a particular report by AWS that was dated in you know 2022, where they said that there were more than 1 million active AWS certifications in 2022. Now, that doesn't mean 1 million certified professionals, obviously, because some of them could have multiple certifications. But if we assume that it was 1 million in 2022, and there's a 30% growth in uh, 2023, because there was a 30% growth from 2021 to 
2022 as well. That puts the estimate to around 1.3 million AWS certifications in 2023. Now, if you compare that with uh, what Statista provides as the global developer population of approximately 30 million developers, well, the hypothesis could be something like this. You only have like uh, 1.3 million out of the 30 million population of developers with skills. So this is one example to prove that we do not have the deep cloud skills that we need in this particular region. So the, the IT talent shortage uh, is definitely real in Asia. But then again, there is also an, another issue. It's not just having certifications with the cloud providers. I would say the biggest struggle is finding talent with real world experience, skills and expertise to build real world mission critical cloud native applications that need to work across a hybrid and multi-cloud environment. So, you know, having a certification is, is a great start, but building real world production grade apps is a different thing altogether because now you will need to build applications that not only adopt a multi-cloud architecture, but they also need to integrate with a rapidly evolving cloud native ecosystem uh, and they also need to be performant and secure. So how are you going to find such challenge? It's not going to be easy. And the thing is, even if you do, recruiting them will not be easy. First of all, they are not going to be cheap. They may already have multiple offers at any time and retaining them will also not be very easy because such talented individuals often become victims of fatigue because everybody is going to them because they are the experts. So it becomes a very high pressure working environment for them that will inevitably impact their work-life balance and perhaps cause them to move out to another organization. In addition to that, there will always be this risk of them being poached by other organizations because of the skills and uh, expertise that they bring to the table. So in, in short, the IT talent shortage is real in Asia. And I think if you manage to find such people, it's very important that you have a great strategy to make sure that they stay within the organization. What can I say? Domain skills are very difficult to find. <laughs> Anyway, with technology evolving rapidly, this is another issue that I often hear from both uh, the IT executives as well as uh, finance and other members of the C-suite. With technology evolving rapidly, how can IT leaders themselves boost the interoperability and adaptability of their cloud-native solutions? Is this achievable today? It is absolutely achievable. And, you know, at the top of my head, you know, I can think of three ways to do that. First and foremost, utilize open source technologies that are backed by a principal vendor. Why this is important is because then when you have a principal vendor backing you, you are able to secure the assurance from a support angle for the technologies you are using. Uh, and a principal vendor will also ensure there is good collaboration across a healthy cloud native ecosystem plus long term product viability. So that is number one. Secondly, avoid vendor lock-in. And what it, this really means is that select solutions that not only conform to open standards, but that are also able to seamlessly integrate with offerings from a wide array of vendors so that you have uh, the flexibility to choose and opt for different vendors if the need arises. The third point, which is becoming a, an, an important focus area is avoiding software concentration meaning not heavily relying on a limited number of software solutions or vendors for your various technology needs. Because if you do that, what happens if, for example, a company suddenly just declares bankruptcy, goes out of business, gets acquired by another vendor who has a completely different strategy for the company. So not being concentrated on a few companies will allow you to mitigate risks to potential issues or disruptions associated with a specific solution or vendor. Uh, and this is where companies like Susan 
so we have over three decades uh, of experience offering secure and interoperable open source solutions that aim to liberate your customers from the shackles of lock-in. Uh, you know, our technologies and products offerings comply with open standards and they integrate not just with our products, but with a wide variety of third-party products as well. One of the things that you mentioned uh, you mentioned earlier on was around security. You know? In light of rising security breaches, what can IT leaders and security professionals as well do to enhance the security of their cloud-native infrastructure or cloud-native solutions? When it comes to uh, security, Alan, there it's it's a never-ending uh, you know domain in in terms of what needs to be done. But what I've observed when I talk to IT leaders is there are two things that are becoming very popular, and that also address to some of the security concerns that we see in the market today. Firstly, it's around defining a software bill of materials, commonly known as an S bomb, which is an inventory of all the software components such as your your software libraries, your application frameworks, your generated code that are used across your entire software supply chain within your organization. And when you have an SBOM, what you literally are able to do is to develop a comprehensive understanding of the software composition and all the different uh, libraries, packages, frameworks you are using, dependencies, so that you can quickly and accurately remediate potential vulnerabilities. Secondly, I would suggest implementing runtime protection for your cloud native applications. Now, many companies may already be using vulnerability scanners throughout the container lifecycle. However, such scanners are only effective against known vulnerabilities. And that means that they will be exposed to zero-day attacks. For example, Log4j is a classic example which exploits a security vulnerability uh, for which at, when it was discovered, no patch existed. So solutions such as New Vector by SUSE can help customers protect their applications from zero-day attacks at runtime. Uh, it ensures that even though you may have malicious code dormant residing for a long time and present in the systems, when it gets active, unauthorized access to privileged resources, remote code execution, as well as data exfiltration by bad actors will be automatically blocked. Yes, speaking of something unusual to happen, Avishal, looking ahead, how do you foresee the role of cloud-native technologies evolving in the near future? Sure, Mel. So uh, I think cloud native is here to stay. It's here to stay for a, for at least for the next decade, I would say. How successful you are going to be is how uh, effective you will be in unlocking the value of cloud native initiatives. And some things that organizations should really look at is, first of all, it's important to foster a cultural shift that embraces DevOps principle, uh, such as collaboration, fail fast, and automation. Right. Secondly, it's also imperative that we prioritize security con considerations from the very beginning. And uh, unlike the olden days of developing applications, security should not be treated as an afterthought. And most important, in, in my opinion, ultimately, the success of any initiative lies in the people. So organizations should look at investing in developing your people because that will not just ensure that you have team members with the right skills, expertise, experience, but you will also increase retention and drive overall loyalty towards the organization. Michelle, as always, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you very much. Pleasure, pleasure is all mine, Ellen. That was Michelle Garuala, Senior Director and Chief Technology Officer for Asia Pacific at SUSE, on the topic of C-suite strategies to unlock the value of cloud-native initiatives. You are listening in the Podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a 
As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.